Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here. And on behalf of my wife and our staff and all of our volunteers, we're so glad that you made it out today. Especially if you are a guest with us for the very first time, we are honored that you're here. We always invite our guests to come at least three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why. We know that when you go to a new place or you go to a place you maybe you didn't know before, you kind of come in and you don't know if they're going to be on today. You know, you don't know if it might be the real version of what that church is. And so we're just encouraging you, try it out at least three times. We've noticed that if people do that, they kind of get a good feeling for our church. And hopefully you find spiritual family here. And I also want to welcome everybody uh, watching on Facebook Live. Come on, let's welcome everybody watching in the digital land. We're so happy that you're here with us. We started that last week. People loved it. And so if you go back and get on Facebook, share that video, share Rise Church. In fact, if you have your phones right now, go ahead and check in on Facebook. Share that video for me. It gets the message of Jesus Christ out and, uh, and about your church and your spiritual family, and uh, it's going to be good today. We're going to be in the book of Colossians chapter number one, Colossians chapter number one. And uh, the reason we're we doing this series on the book of Colossians really greater than is about uh, the book of Colossians. And uh, the reason we're doing that is uh, for a few things. Number one, I love the Bible. I really do. I love, I love the scriptures. I've been um, reading. I've been inside ministry since I was 18. I've been teaching uh, the Bible for about two decades. I love the Word of God. I love Scripture, and I want, I, I, and part of it is, is, is I want you to know uh, how much we love it here at the church. In fact, it's one of our values. One of our values here is uh, the Bible, and we have five values, and the first one, it's the number one value we have here. It's the Scriptures and the Word of God. We believe in it that much. The second reason is, is I want you to love the Bible. I want you to feel permission to go in, get a Bible, and if you don't have one, I want to help you get one, and I want you to jump into Scripture and read read it and go all the way through it. I want you to have a love for the Bible. And third, this is the kind of a, a, a unique thing is we here at Rise, we teach uh, through different sermon series or message series. We t- take a topic and we teach for about three or four weeks on it. Um, this is just a change up. It's a switch up. It's kind of an adjustment. I'm a little unique. And so I like to have experiences and change things up and do new things. And this is what we're doing. And so normally I'll Tip, I'll pick like a topic, like, a, you know, we talked about this last month on being overwhelmed. That's the topic of stress and anxiety and overwhelmed. This month, I'm going to talk exegetically, which means I'm going to walk through a book of the Bible, and we're just going to let it breathe. We're going to let God speak to us. We're going to figure out what's inside of it, because I believe in the power of this book in your life and in my life, and we want to expand on that. So Colossians chapter number one. Uh, and in verse 9, so a little context about Colossians. Colossians is what we call in the New Testament. The Bible is broken up into two main sections. It's broken up into the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is an incredible book, and it's really not a book. It's actually a collection of books. There's all different types of books inside it as well, topically, uh, which means it, there's some wisdom books in there. There's some prophecy books in there. There's some um, there's some history books inside of it. And then in the New Testament, it's even a whole different animal altogether. The New Testament starts with the life of Jesus, what we call the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. A gospel is just a life of Jesus. They're just written by different people to different audiences. And then it goes on to a few books about the history of the church and the local church as it's first started, as Jesus starts it. And then it gets into some of these things called epistles. Epistles. Everybody say epistles. Yeah, it's just letters to to different churches in the area uh, by different authors, mainly from the writer Paul. And Paul writes to the church at Colossae in 60 AD, and he writes this letter, Colossians, to the church in Colossae. It's a city. He writes from a prison, so his life's not going good. Things aren't great. And the prisons back there are prisons now. It's not great. You would prefer to not be in a prison 
But he writes a letter after he gets a visit from a church planter called Epiphas, who is planted a church inside of Colossae. And he wants Paul, who's kind of his apostle, or the guy who kind of started his church and starts the ministry and helps his spiritual guide. And he says, I need you to connect with the church and send them some great thoughts, help with some of our troubles, and get us lined up right for the future. And this he writes, and he starts Colossians. So that is our backdrop. Y'all with me? Y'all ready? Everybody say, okay. Everybody say, I got you. It's a backdrop of Colossians, and that's where we pick it up in Colossians chapter number one. And it says this in verse nine. It says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Everybody say, pray. Yeah, we haven't stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. I love that. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. I love that. Every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. He goes on to say, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Come on, parents. Y'all need some patience out there. Like, Paul, I need this. This is good. And giving joyful thanks to the Father. Again, he's writing to the church who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of, the holy, of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And then he kind of wraps it up. He says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And in verse 14, he says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The son is the image of the invisible God. So if you checked out, check back in. This is so good. The firstborn over all creation. I love what it says in the New Living Translation in verse 15. It says this, the New Living Translation. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I love this. He existed before anything was created and is supreme. Everybody say supreme. Come on, he's the best kind of pizza. He's got all the toppings over all creation. That whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, Whatever problems you have, Christ is greater than. And with that as our backdrop, let's pray. Father, we just love you, God. Lord, I know that today you're going to speak to us. That, God, you're going to show us. You're going to prove to us through your word, your character. I'm humbled to stand on a platform to preach your word. I'm honored that you would call us when you don't need us. And that today, Lord, we can lift your name up. You could speak to us in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Um, if you're writing notes, the, 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 the name of my message today is Jesus is greater than your prayer problems. Jesus is greater than your prayer problems. I thought it was interesting that Paul started Colossians with the, the typical Christian cliche. The typical Christian cliche. You know what a cliche is? Cliche is something that you say that has truth to it, but it's played out, right? Uh, one of the cliches I grew up in with the church was uh, when the church, like I used to, um, we, it, I grew up in a church where you had to fake it till you make it. Anybody grow up in that type of church? So when you walked in, life could be going crazy. Your, your life's in shambles. Everything's going crazy. Your parents hate you or your wife hates you or your finances are terrible or your, you know, your kids are crazy and your, your, your dog got hit by a car and you ran over a nail and your finances are terrible and you lost your job. And when you walked into church, somebody asked you how you were doing. You could never tell them that. Your typical response, here's a Christian cliche you kind of grew up with. This is how I grew up. Whenever something bad happened, you would say stuff like this. How are you, Aaron? Blessed and highly favored. Anybody grow up like that? Anybody? Blessed and highly favored. 
And you, you, you said it in a way, and I, I get why, they, why we did it, but, but you said it in a way, and it created a culture where you felt like you couldn't be real. Like you couldn't have problems, you couldn't have issues, you couldn't have anything wrong. And so that was a Christian, that was kind of a Christian cliche. You know, hey, well, you know, I'm blessed and highly favored, you know, it's all good. And uh, another Christian cliche I think Paul even uses right here in the front of his message to his letter to, to Colossae, he says, um, he says, hey, at the first thing you need to know this, I'm praying for you. Did you ever get that where you kind of came in? Okay, so now you took a step. Something happened in your life. You walk into the church. You tell someone about it, and then you open up your life. You're crying. It's all over. It's opened up. Your heart's on the floor, and they look at you, and you're looking for something, and their thing they give you is like, well, man, that's terrible. Hey, I'll pray for you, and they walk away. Paul kind of starts off his letter with this idea. He says, since the day we heard about you, I love it. I we're praying for you. By the way, Paul's never been to Colossae. He never met any of those people. And he does this kind of Christian cliche like, hey, uh, I'm praying for you. I remember the person who got me out of this uh, was a friend of mine named Max. I used to work with him. He was a, a worship pastor on staff at a church I was at. And I was in my office one day, and I was having a bad day. It was terrible, terrible day. And uh, I, 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 was, I was just, everything was wrong. Everything part of my life was wrong. And everything. It was kind of one of those days, you all had a day where you felt like nothing was ever going right. Like it started from the beginning and it, until you went to bed, it was wrong. Even how you went to bed was wrong, right? Like it was just bad all day. I'm sitting in my office and Max walks by and he sees my face. And I have that face where I can't fake it. Like if something's wrong, you'll know. Anybody have that disease like I do, right? Like you're like, man, something's wrong. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to know something's wrong. And, uh, he comes by and he goes, man, what's wrong? And I just, I unload. And I was just, you know, I'm crying and there's boogers everywhere. And I'm just like freaking out. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I said, and I was so used to hearing friends inside of church tell me, oh, okay, well, I'll pray for you. And then walk away. I preempted his prayer. So I'm saying all this stuff and I get to the end and I'm waiting for him to say that. So I just tell him, I say, hey, will you pray for me? And I got up to walk out of my office. And I remember Max, I remember him saying, like, where are you going? I'm like, well, I don't, I, I don't know. He goes, where, where are you going? I thought you asked me to pray for you. I said, well, yeah, but like, like what are you going to pray for me right now? And he goes, yes, let's pray right now. And I'm like, oh. And it, it rocked me a little bit. In fact, it rocked me so much, it changed how I used to say that to people. Now you see me in Walmart and someone walks up and something's going wrong, I pray for you in Walmart. I pray for you in H-E-B. God, you, people need prayer in H-E-B. I pray for you at the DMV office. I pray for you at the, at the park. I pray with you. I pray with you at the mall. I'll pray with you anywhere. My life was changed that day because Max did literally something. He reworked what I think even the Christian cliche was. And I think he did what Paul was saying. He's saying, look, man, I'm praying for you. No, no, I'm actually praying for you. And Paul's encouraging us in the first part of this letter. The first thing he starts off with is prayer because he wants us to see the value of prayer. Now, some of us don't value prayer. And you might not value prayer because of where you come up and how you grew up. Maybe you didn't even pray at all, so you don't value because you don't know what it is. Maybe you grew up with prayer so much that you devalue it. Now it's so familiar and it's too familiar, you think it doesn't work. Either way, Paul's saying, no, no, prayer is important. Prayer works. Prayer matters. And for some of us, we don't pray because it's hard and it's confusing, right? And if we're not, if we don't know how to pray, if we don't know what to pray, if we don't know where to pray or when to pray or what this thing called prayer even is, we won't do it. And I'm just telling you, if we don't know how to pray, we will never pray. And you and I need prayer, y'all. 
Yes, shake your head. You, you, not your neighbor, you. I talked to God about it. He told me, you need prayer. And if we don't know how to do it, we won't do it. So I I thought I'd pull out four um, Pauline-type prayers that I'm praying for you, that I'm praying that God would um, speak to you about, that God would reveal to you, that you would even pray over yourself after today. I want to help bridge maybe the gap between you not praying and you starting a good prayer life through what Paul prayed over the church at Colossae. The first thing is this. The first prayer that I'm praying for you and for me is help me to know God's will. Help me to know God's will. Paul pulls out in verse 9. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Everybody say will. Now, when I say the will of God, that's a big statement, right? And that could be kind of intimidating to somebody. Some, sometimes you can interpret that or see that as like the meaning of life. Like knowing God's will is like knowing the meaning of life. Like that's a big question. That's a big statement, pastor. Like how do we know God's will? Can you even know God's will? Well, I want to break it down to you in, for you in maybe three maybe categories of God's will, maybe help make it a little more palatable, a little more simple, so that when you pray to know God's will, you know the specific types of will that I think inside of your life and my life that God has. The first one, the first type of will, as you break it down, could be the sovereign will of God. You know, when sometimes when you pray, like, God, I want to know the sovereign will of God. God, what are you doing? And this is the will of God overarching globally inside of all of life. If you ever read the Bible, if you start, there's a beginning of the Bible, which is the, typically the beginning of life, and at the end of the Bible, Bible is like kind of the end when Jesus comes back and does extreme home makeover on the world and we live with him and we party and we eat. And if you don't like to eat, you ain't going to like heaven. There's a lot of feasts at the end of days. That's why I like being a Christian. Thank you, Jesus. But the overarching, there's an arc to human history if you read it. That there's something God's doing in the world. There's a sovereign moving hand will of God that's happening, and I want to know what it is because I want to be a part of it. So I'm praying that, God, I want to know your sovereign will. God, what are you doing in the world? Second is this, is, is the moral will of God. God, what are you, what are you doing as, as a, uh, inside of what's right and wrong for my life? If you ever walk up to God and ask him whether or not you should do something or whether or not it's right or wrong, that's a moral will of God. And I just know this, that those who love, who have a, those who actually do God's moral will, follow God's moral will, his morality, and what he believes and deems right and wrong, typically do better in life because God created and designed you. And the designer has a purpose for the thing that he designs. Come on. And so oftentimes when God has a right and wrong and a yes and no and a good or a bad thing inside of life, when he has a morality attached to whether or not you do something, it's not because he's mad at you or it's not because he doesn't want you to do things. It's not because he doesn't think that he's not a fun God. It's because typically he's trying to protect you because it typically has, especially if it's something he tells you not to do, it always has something to attach to somebody's life, somebody getting hurt, you included. And so oftentimes we come to God with our will and morality and try to place his will of morality on it when it's not true, it's not biblical. God has a design for you. You were designed a certain way to do certain things certain ways. And when you step out of that will of God, things go wrong. The third one is this, 
This is the personal will of God. For, this is like the question you ask God. God, what, what's the will for my life? God, what did you create me and design me to do? My son Riley has a, um, uh, my wife bought him. He likes to tinker and to play and to build. And so she buys him, uh, we, we, we have this like monthly membership where they send out what's called a tinker toy. And so it comes every month and it's a new toy and he has to build it. And so first one was like a moving machine robot, you know, it does this thing. And then another one was a, like a catapult. And then another one was like a, a starry night simulator. And he's got to put it together. But I've noticed that the designers of those toys designed it to be built a certain way and to act in a certain function. So when my five-year-old comes in and grabs his robot and throws it against the wall, it wasn't designed to do that. In fact, it breaks. It doesn't work right after that. When it's used in a way that it wasn't designed to be used, come on, it doesn't fulfill its purpose. You and I were designed by a designer. You and I were created by a creator. You're, you, you, you and I literally have a purpose. You are not a random accident in the world. And some of you have never heard that before. Some of you believe you're just an accident from your parents. Some of you believe you're a random chance. You randomly got here. You are randomly in this moment. You, are ra- you have a purpose. You have been designed. God has created you to do something unique and great in this world. God has a plan for your life. And so whenever we step outside of that design, we don't fulfill our purpose and we feel like we're out of it. Because you are out of it. You were created with meaning and with purpose. Dramatic pause. That's how you were created. Don't live life like you don't have a purpose. Without meaning. I remember just for me, as I look back on my life, the evident hand of God is so present. Isn't that true? For those of you who've been on this earth longer than some of us, and you know, maybe you're round and third, you know, in life, and you're just, you're looking back on your life. Isn't it true? Come on. Isn't it true? We have so many, I love this. I love about our church. We have so many uh, seasoned people in our church that, man, have, have, I mean, I'm telling you, mature believers who love God and help us young people. We need your wisdom. And I love that you're here. You have a place at the table. You belong and you matter. And we're learning from you. But isn't it true that when you look back, because I'll sit down and have coffee and have dinner and have lunch, and we'll connect, and they'll, I always hear the same thing. As I look back on my life, what I thought was random and accidental and by chance was really the hand of God. Wow, he protected me from that. Come on, isn't that true? Isn't that true? And the more you look back, and if you really look back and look in your life, you're like, man, I can't believe God protected me from that. I was so mad about this, and then he was really doing this, and I didn't really know. And when you're in that moment, you can get frustrated and flustered, and you're like, and you start stressing out. But when you get to the end of your life, you're looking back, you're like, man, God was just there. God can't not be fake. He's real. He's got to be real. I wouldn't have made it. Why? Because you were designed with a purpose. I love Romans chapter 12 says this, Romans chapter 12 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is that? Will of God. The point of your transformation and your renewing of your mind is so that you can fall into the will of God. 
The reason we want to do it his way is because God designed you a way. So that you can make it to your purpose. The principle in this is that I don't want to step anywhere he hasn't guided me. Come on. That's the principle Paul's talking about. I don't want to step anywhere God hasn't, hasn't guided. Have, have any of you had a moment with God where he didn't answer your prayer recently? Anybody? Raise your hand. This is participation time. You can look around. This would be great. We can just all be mad together. Raise your hand if you just ask God for something. He didn't answer it. Great. All right. We've got six truthful people. Great. I was talking to my, my son, Tyus, the other day. I woke up and I started making sandwiches and I had a plan for the day. He walked up to me and he goes, hey, son. Hey, dad, 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 dad. Can I go to the park? Let's go to the park. I want to go to the park. I go, no, son, we're not going to the park. I go, I'm doing something. I need, I just, just, can, you, can you go take care of your brothers? He got, he got mad. Dad. He grumbled. Anybody have the grumbling kid? Anybody? The other. And they want to let you know they're mad. So they don't say it to your face. They walk off and they grumble as they walk off. You're like, say what? Say it to my face. You know, and... Uh, and so he comes back a little bit later. Hey, Dad, I really want to go to the park, please. Why can't we go to the park, please, please? I'm like, are you looking at my eyes? Do you speak English? No. Let me tell you in Spanish. No. And he's like, and then he goes and tells his mom, right, you know? And I'm like, whatever. And so he comes back a third time. I said, Titus, look, if you ask me again, you're never going to the park. I'm going to, we'll never go. You can't even look towards the park if you ask me again. You know what I'm saying? Like I went to a next level. So he did the, he did the stair stomp up the stairs. Y'all have the kid that does the stair stomp. Anybody? Sounded like this. He got mad. He goes. And I'm like, hey, why don't you stomp a little louder? The neighbors didn't hear you. You know what I'm saying? Like I push them. Anybody like that? Any dads like that? Like the Bible said, like, don't make your kids mad. I, I do. I make them mad. So, you know, like they're on the edge. and You're supposed to pull them back. Anybody push them over like I do? Like, you know, I'm like you ain't, you ain't loud enough. My son came down after he was mad and he goes, Dad, why can't we go to the park? What he didn't know is I wanted to take him to SeaWorld. I said, son, I don't want to take you to the park. I was trying to take you to SeaWorld. I was trying to make you lunch and sandwiches so we could sneak it in. <laughs> don't act like y'all don't do that. <laughs> Wrapping it with the, to with the clothes, you know. <laughs> Just kidding, SeaWorld, watching. And how many times we go to God, God, I, I want this. God's like, no, 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 no. My will, my will. I'm trying to give you SeaWorld. No, 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 I want to go to the park. I, 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 I want to go to the park. Come on. The will of God is always better than your will, just so you know. Your purpose and your destiny is on the other side of you submitting to his will. So stop trying to go to the park. He's trying to take you to SeaWorld. Number two, help me do God's work. This is another one. Help me do God's work. Help me to do God's work. I love this in scripture. He, Paul goes on to say, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So I'm praying for you. Here's why I'm praying for you. So that you can be bearing fruit in every good work. Everybody say good work. Come on, look at your neighbor and say good work. Yeah, the, 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 the point of your life is to do good work. It's easy for me to do anything. I don't want to do just anything. I want to do something. There's a difference, y'all. Come on. 
I don't want to wake up and just say, I lived life. I want to live the life that God wanted me to live. Somebody asked me, what's the purpose in life? That's the purpose in life, to do good works. Everybody who is doing their purpose in life is overarchingly doing God's purpose in life. So if you're doing good works, I know people who are getting it. Like they're doing hashtag blessed life right now, right? Like they're living their best life. It's always typically wrapped around God and them doing what God asked them to do in his purpose, in his will, doing his good works. And as they're doing God's good works, they're fulfilling their life's purpose. They don't live separate. They live together. Ephesians 2 says this. This is another letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus. He says, for we are his workmanship. Another translation would say, masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Stop acting like you're junk. Come on, some of us date junky people because you think you're junk. You ain't junk. You're a masterpiece. God designed you to do something incredible. You're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? What were you created to do? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that you could walk in the good works, that you, God created you to do something great. You need to know this. Jesus even told a story, a parable in Matthew chapter 25. is a parable of the steward, that he has a, a, an owner or a foreman who sends out servants, sends out laborers to go take care of something. He gives them something to take care of. He comes back, asks them for what they did with their stuff that they were given. And the people who did stuff did good works with what they were given. He said this statement that should rock you to your core. And if you're watching on Facebook, you should believe this. This should be the way you live your life. Is God, I want you to say at the end of my life this statement, well done, good and faithful servant. You did something with your life. You did good works. You didn't just sit there. You ever, like, you ever have a grandma talk to you like that? Like, don't be a what? A bump on a log? You didn't know what that was? You don't, I don't know. I still don't know what a bump on a log is. But I know what she was saying. She was saying, y'all need to get up and do something. You were made to do something great. And you want at the end of your life, just so you know, everything you have, money, time, cars, uh, houses, clothes, shoes, relationships, job, vacations, time, energy all of it was given to you as a gift by God and one day he's going to ask you what did you do with it good questions to ask to find out how do I do good works because sometimes I can be hard I get that I want to give you some practical on how to do a good work here's a good question to ask yourself the first question I would ask is what are some of the gifts that I've been given I want you to know this not everybody is created equal in the kingdom of God I know it's like a challenging statement. You have equal value. But scripture is clear. Not everyone has the same gifts. Not everybody is a general. Did you know that the army has different ranks? Come on. Not everybody's running things. There, there's got to be some, there's levels. God has created you with a certain talent, a certain gift mix, a certain way of doing things. Now, you have all equal value in God. No one's more better or more valuable than the other. But we all have different roles. And we all have different gifts. And the best thing that some of us can do is to ask ourselves the question, what is the gift God has given you? Maybe you have a gift of, you know, just you have a friendly face. 
and God has given you that gift of just, man, your smile is great, and you got that friendly disposition. Come on, some of y'all met that person where they're just so sweet, you just, you, you get a cavity just standing next to them, you know? You're just like, God, oh, I can't stand you for longer than five minutes. You're just so nice, you know? You're just always nice. It's like, you can't be that nice. Life can't be that good. Have you ever said that walking away from someone? Like, life can't be that good. There's got to be something wrong with that person. It's a gift God gave you. Maybe you have a gift of hospitality. Like whenever somebody comes over to your house and they just come and tell you, like, every time I come to your house, it's like perfect. And you're just so nice. And there's Tapachicos always cold inside the fridge. And there's food everywhere. And you always have baked fresh cookies. And things are just so nice. And you have like a room prepared just for me, just in case. With fresh flowers. Like you have a gift of hospitality. You need to have people over at your house. You need to let that thing shine, right? This little light of mine, just so you know, that's your light. Don't let, you got to let it shine. Don't cover it up. God gave you that gift. You need to connect with somebody. You need to have some people over at your house. You need to cook somebody dinner. You know, the best way to be a friend to someone is give them food. Jesus taught us that. You want to be my friend? Bring me food. Or maybe you've been to give a gift of, you know, giving or you maybe finances and God, you need to know that there's a spiritual gift of giving. Some people are given the gift of finances where you have been blessed so much. It's a gift. And if you're not careful, if you don't treat it like a gift, you know what a gift is? A gift is only a gift if it blesses other people. So you, men, money is like a river. It's, de, it's designed to be moving and flowing. It's designed to come out into you and out to someone else. And if you got that gift, you better not, you, you, well, I'm telling you, you better use it. And I'm not just talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about, man, you should be the most, if, you're the, if you've been given the gift of generosity and gift of giving, you better walk around looking for people to give. You got to use your gift. Do good works. What has God given you? Second question to ask is, what are the needs around me? God, what, what am I looking for? Who, who needs help that can walk into your gifts? What am I doing about it in my job and in my church? How can I use the thing that God gave me? What are the needs of my church? What are the needs? That the, I love it when people walk up to me and they're like, hey, pastor, I saw this issue. And I'm like, that's so great you saw that because I didn't see that. That means you saw it. That means God gave you eyes to see it. That means he gave you hands to fix it. Come on. And they're like, well, and that's the church's job. I go, you're absolutely right. You're the church. Tag, you're it. Checkmate. I win. Right? Or, or, or this is going, what breaks my heart? You know, there's some things that you have that break your heart emotionally, how you grew up, maybe how you believe, maybe what so your grandmama, grandmama's grandmama taught you. And there's some things in the world that you see that breaks your heart. God gave that to you. That's something that you could identify, that you could do good works. And by the way, just because it doesn't break my heart and it breaks yours doesn't make me wrong. It doesn't make our church wrong. I've had people come up to me and they're like, hey, we need to be about this cause or we need to be about this thing. And I'm like, that's, that's great. That's a personal conviction of yours. That's not my personal conviction. That's not our personal. That's not our vision. And they get mad and leave the church. I'm like, I love you, but we don't even do all of my personal convictions here. And I'm the senior pastor. <laughs> what breaks your heart? Because if it breaks your heart, then God gave you eyes and a vision for it, man. He, he wants you to see it so you can fix it. Third question is this, third prayer that Paul gives us. Help me to walk in God's strength. Help me to walk in God's strength. Verse 11, he says, being strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. Come on, like you mean it, say strengthened. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. I love this. How many of y'all in here just, man, isn't life, can, can't life be tiring? Can we be honest? 
I mean, just day in, day out with little kids, that's tiring. Day in, day out at a job, that's tiring. Day in, day out with the husband, that's tiring. Come on, ladies. It's like brush your teeth when you wake up. Come on. It could be tiring. And I, I'm, I just noticed this. If you feel like you can't make it alone, guess what? You're right. Remember, you were designed. And your design is actually, you were, your creator, God, created you to be connected with divine relationships so that you can make it to your divine purpose. And you ain't going to make it alone. The more you try to be alone, the worse and the harder it's going to be. It's not be strong. It's be strong in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. You have to be strong in Christ. He said it. Paul said it in another letter to the Philippians, the church in Philippi. He said, I can do all things through who? Through Christ. I, I, can't, I can't do all things. I can't just be strong. I can be strong in Christ. So if you're weak and tired and, man, you're just wore out from life, you need God. And so sometimes we got to pray that, God, give me strength. I can't make this on my own. The other day, my son was trying to, I, we have bikes. I have five young boys, and they all have bikes. And so I put them in, the, I made this bike rack that hooks on it, and I put it really high so that when the bikes are on the hook that hangs, it kind of gets them out of the way. My son, Todd Kellen, came over there. They said, I want to ride my bike, Dad. I said, great, go get your bike. It's in the garage. Bless God. You're blessed and highly favored. Go ahead. And so he goes in there, and he was in there for like 20 minutes. I'm like, what is he doing? Like, I didn't hear him. I didn't see him get on the bike. I walk out there, and he's like, Dad, I can't get it. I'm not strong enough. Now, I had two options, right? Like, one option, I could be like, well, try harder. Any dads like that? Try harder. Be strong. Don't be a wimp, right? Or I could go over and, and help him. But the only difference between me helping him and not helping him was him asking me. Now, how many of us go to the walls of our life and all the things we're trying to do and you, you, you we're afraid to ask God to help us we're afraid to ask God to strengthen us and the only difference between sometimes you making it and not making it is you just asking God for strength because you know what's hard for us is easy for God because I could walk up to that bike take it off the wall boom one second he's off running around he wasted 20 minutes of his life come on how many of our lives out here are we wasting without just because you're trying to be strong? Your dad told you, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't you ask anybody for help. You're not even God. You be strong. And there's a positive spin to strength and all those types of things. But sometimes you're going to need to just ask God to strengthen you so that you can get through and really fulfill your purpose in life. I think Paul was asking us, man, pray that God would strengthen us. And the last one is this, help me to have a grateful heart. I love in verse 12, he says, I love how he starts it, and giving joyful thanks. Everybody say thanks. Thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. I love that, that like, like at the end of the day, he kind of ends the prayer with this idea of thankfulness and gratitude. He says, can we just be grateful that we have life and breath in our lungs? I know there's a lot of things out there. There are companies paying billions and billions and billions of dollars to get your contentment all stirred up. Did you know that? Lots of money. Lots of people, lots of companies, lots of attention grabbers trying to get you looking at your shoes you just bought going, but there's another pair, Aaron. But, but there's another car. Oh, wait, but, but there's another house. Look what, look what your neighbor's got. Look what that person on Facebook posted. Hashtag blessed life up on that vacation. I know you just came back from one, but that place looks better. 
And I think Paul was highlighting for us that, like, look, at the end of the day, we have an inheritance, and we can't take anything we got here from us anyway. It's a spiritual inheritance. You're going to win in the end, so let's focus on what we do have and not what we don't have so that we can live in an attitude of gratitude. I like what he even kind of postures the spirit. The principle there is our gratitude really determines our altitude. You can't go up if you're frustrated about what you don't have. And so you got to be okay and content with your wife. You got to be content with your husband. You got to be content with your job. You got to be content with your son. You got to be content with your daughters. You got to be content with your house. You got to be content with your barbecue grill. You got to be content with your car that you're driving right now that you think you need a new one because it's just not looking like what it used to look like. You got to be content with where the, the place that you got has called you to go and minister to inside of your workplace so that you can go in there and be the hands and feet of Jesus. You got to be content with your neighbor. You got to be content with where you went on vacation. You don't need another one. You got to be content with your church. You got to be content with your friends. Come on, you got to be content with what's in your refrigerator. You got to be content with what's within your closet. If you're content, Bible says in Timothy that it's godliness with contentment is great gain or great wealth. You don't be rich by the things that you accumulate. You're rich by the things and knowing what you have right now has been given to you by God. And if he gave you nothing else, that would be enough. You got to be content. And he says we, we have to work at it. You have to pray for it. It's not a spiritual gift, by the way. Somebody asked me, I was praying God to give me contentment. But just so you know, it doesn't work like that. Contentment is not a spiritual gift. Contentment is a learned skill by a mature Christian believer. No one's born with contentment. Oh, and that guy's just content. No one's like that. If they're content, they had to work at it. They had to get in their minds, what I have now is all I need. And if I'm blessed with more, great. So it's not a life of poverty, but it's also not a life of like, hey, I can have anything I want. There's a balance and a tension that's right in the middle where you say, God, if you gave me nothing else, that was enough. I'm content. I'm going to develop it over time. I'm going to close with this thought. Um, I like how Paul ends the scripture, the prayer that he has in Colossians. Again, we're just letting the scripture breathe today. We're just walking through scripture. This is old-fashioned Bible study exegesis, okay? He says this. He says, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Again, Jesus is greater than. He made peace with everything in heaven on the earth. That means of Christ's blood on the cross. That it was Christ's blood that literally bridged the gap between death and life. I read a, a great article the other day that had this cool little story it's from a man named Dr. Jim Clark, and he posted this on Twitter. This is what he posted. He said, today I operated on a little girl. She needed O blood. We didn't have any at the place we were at, but her twin brother has O blood. I explained to him that it was a matter of life and death. He sat quietly for a moment, and then he said goodbye to his parents. I didn't think anything of it until after we took his blood, and he asked, so when will I die? And he thought he was giving his life for hers. Thankfully, they'll both be fine. I thought that was a cool story because what the son thought he was doing is what Jesus actually did for us. His blood bridged the, that boy's blood bridged the, the gap between death and life for his sister. And Christ's blood bridged the gap between death and life for all, all of mankind. And so Jesus at the core of all Paul's prayers, I think Paul ends it with this prayer that, God, you need to pray that God's in your life, that you have to have Jesus Christ as your personal 
Savior, your personal Lord, your personal God in your life. Because he wants a relationship with you. And if you start with that, if you have that prayer, we recognize God is, is really the bridge of all things. Then he's greater than your prayer problems. Because you might struggle with prayer. And Paul gives us some great ways to overcome that. And that's my prayer for you today. That you would take a step in knowing Jesus. His blood bridges death to life.